So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're going to be wrapping up chapter 4 today in this book. Now, before we get into this, I do want to just mention that I, I said this in my introduction to the, to the service today, but the, the picnic is going to be rescheduled. I, I, I started the, the camera after, and I know some people are watching online today, and so just to make sure everyone is aware that we're going to reschedule the picnic uh, that was supposed to be at 5 p.m. I was trying to hold out, but it still looks like it'll, it's going to be raining, so I think it'll be best. And since we're going to be outside, it'll be nice not to be in, in the wet anyway, and kids can play on the playgrounds and everything there as well. So uh, you'll see information coming about when and, and where we'll be uh, rescheduling that. But again, as we, as we turn our attention to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, you'll remember that, that last week uh, we talked about the idea of community, that, that we shouldn't be isolated from others, that we need to be in fellowship and friendship and community uh, with others, and that we expose ourselves to danger if we find ourselves alone. And today... As we look at verse 13 and 16 at the end of this chapter, we see a, a basic continuation of that thought process. And I came very close last week to wrapping these verses into the discussion last week because we were saying that, that two are better than one, that, that if you fall down and you're alone, who's going to pick you up, that we need people around us. And what we see in this, this verse then is an illustration of that, that we need advisors as well, that we can't isolate ourselves from those who will give us advice. And so again, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he had been born. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, guide our understanding. We pray that we wouldn't be simply impacted by the, the philosophy of our time, uh, but we pray for eyes to truly understand what you have for us in your word, that we, we would, I would not read into this text, but would read out of this text what you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we walk through this verse, you'll look back at verse 13. And you see at the very beginning here how Solomon is flipping our expectations upside down. That especially if you were in the ancient world, you would associate poverty and youth with folly and foolishness. You would think, Somebody who's young hasn't had the life experience to make wise decisions yet. And maybe even people would think that if you don't have a lot of money, if you're poor, maybe that's because you made 
bad decisions. But then on the other hand, people might think, well, if somebody's older, they have life experience. And generally, that's a pattern in Scripture that there is respect for the wisdom of age. But then you would also expect that somebody who is a king has he's exercised authority. He's exercised power, that, that he has a lot of experience, and that equals wisdom. But that's not what we see here from Solomon. He flips the paradigm upside down. Look at verse 13. He says, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And so you see here, there are two men. One is young and poor, but he's actually the one who is wise because he still knows how to take advice, how to take counsel. But then it says that the king, this old king, apparently at one time was able to take advice, but it says that he no longer knows how to take advice, that he has cut himself off from all community, of all people who would speak into his decision-making process. And so then if you're thinking about the heart of true wisdom, then it's, it's not about how old you are, per se. It's not about your station in life, per se. It's not about how much money you have. It's about this willingness to take advice, this willingness to take counsel from others. And this is something that is repeated numerous times in Scripture. For instance, in Proverbs 12, 15, it says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise man listens to advice. Or Proverbs 15, 22 Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The sense of we, we can't be in isolation, we need advice, we need counsel from other people. This is important. And so that's the, the theme that we're going to be exploring today, this theme of advice. And we're going to ask five important questions from our text today focusing on this theme of advice. So here's the, the first important question that we're going to ask of the text. Why is taking advice so hard? Why is taking advice so hard? I mean, it says in the text that the king no longer knew how to take advice. Why did he forget? Why did he stop asking for advice? And I think there's a number of reasons that we don't like to take advice. One reason is that we're always right, or at least we like to think that we are always right, or at the very least, there's a sense of, if I didn't think it was right, I wouldn't do it this way. I, I, you're at least right in your own eyes. But then, of course, sometimes we also know that we're wrong, but we're then afraid to admit that we're wrong. We are embarrassed. We, we've been on the wrong path. We're doing something wrong. And there's this sense of that would be really embarrassing if I admit that I'm doing something wrong. And so I have to ignore advice. And that at the root of it all is a sense of human pride. That pride gets in the way so much within our hearts. It says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. That you have pride in your heart, I have pride in my heart, and pride is basically that refrain that you see over and over again in the book of Judges. If you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, it says, there was no king in the land, and people did what was right in their own eyes. That, that we think that what I'm doing is right because I think it's right. It's right in my own eyes. I don't care what other people say, what other people think. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says. I'm right. My way is best. Everyone else, including God, is wrong. That is this heart of pride. That's why it's so hard to take advice. Why is it hard to take advice? Because of human pride. So that's the first important question. Why is taking advice so hard because of human pride? But then here's a, a second important question that we can ask here. What happens if we never take advice? What happens if we never take advice, if we refuse advice over and over again repeatedly? Well, probably the most benign thing that happens is that we stop growing and we stop maturing. That if you want to grow in your writing ability, you need people who will tear your writing apart. And if you've had somebody proofread a paper, you know how painful that is. Again, you're saying, if I wanted it worded differently, I would have worded it differently. <laughs> and I don't want it worded it that way, but yet there's a sense if you want to grow, you have to have people tear your writing apart. Or if you want to grow as a musician, you have to have people give you criticism, give you advice. You have to listen if you want to grow. And that applies to basically every area of our lives. If you want to grow as an employee, you have to listen to advice. If you want to grow as a parent, you have to listen to advice, that we're called to listen to advice, even though it's hard, even though it's painful. But it's not just that, that it, we won't grow if we don't listen to advice, but it's actually even deeper than that. That if we don't listen to advice, if we never listen to counsel, eventually we start making bad decisions because we're only using our own minds to influence each decision. And then if you make enough bad decisions, eventually it, become, it becomes dangerous for ourselves and it becomes dangerous for others as well. I was talking actually to Mark just before the service and he was talking about the Challenger explosion. Maybe some of you remember. And he was telling me how the engineers had been warning that there were problems that that it could explode under certain conditions, but as the advice moved up the, the chain of command, that eventually it was lost. The people didn't pay attention. They didn't listen to the advice. They had other concerns, and of course, it ended up being deadly. And there are many examples of that in organizations where organizations won't listen to advice until it's too late. And that's actually even what we see in our text here. Look at verse 14. It says, for he, and that's the, the young man, the young wise man, went from prison to the throne, though in presumably the old man's kingdom, he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. So this is similar to Joseph in the book of Genesis, going from prison to running Egypt. He, he moves from the lowest position to the highest position. 
And it comes through his wisdom that he's somebody who's willing to take advice, willing to take counsel, willing to, to listen to others. But then implied in this is the downfall of the king. The king entered into this place of pride, this place of thinking that he was in charge. He was the one who was ruling the kingdom. And eventually he was replaced by this younger, wiser man who knew how to listen to advice. That his failure to listen to advice didn't just keep him from growing. It actually was destructive for his reign, for the reign of his house after him as well. And that's true for you and for me as well, that when we fail to pay attention to wisdom, to advice from others, eventually it can cause problems. It can be dangerous. It can be destructive. So again, we said, why is it so hard? We said pride. Uh, we said, what happens if we don't take advice? That eventually it can be destructive for ourselves, for others. So then the, the third important question we need to ask is this. How do we learn to take advice? We see the importance of it. We know that we need it. But how do we actually learn to do this? And the first thing to do is we're, we're seeking to take advice is something you hear people about, talk about, active listening. Now, when, when somebody comes to you with advice, it's almost indistinguishable to know whether it's criticism or advice. Uh, is it criticism or is it advice? Usually, it, it just depends on how we're feeling that day. If we, if we agree, it's advice. And potentially, it's criticism if we disagree. And that none of us likes criticism. No one likes feedback of saying, you're doing something wrong, you should do something better. I mean, even as a pastor, I know I need feedback, but I don't always like it. Because you, you want somebody to come and say, these are all the things I like about your leadership, not here's where you need to be leading better. And, and the criticism is hard. But I think that, that the, the first step so often is, is, is a phrase that you hear a lot. I'm sure you've heard this. Seek to understand before being understood. Seek to understand before being understood. That when somebody brings advice, somebody brings criticism, it could be just, it could be unjust. But before jumping to the defensiveness immediately, there's a sense of just stopping, asking questions, asking for examples, trying to really make sure you understand what the person is saying. And part of it is, is even prayer in the moment, that when somebody brings advice to you or criticism to you, just, there, there's that, that moment where they've said what they have to say, and you're getting ready to respond, that before you say anything, if, if you have the the mind to just to shoot some prayers up to the Lord, saying, Lord, please give me a heart of humility. Let me respond in gentleness. Please don't let me just defend myself. Let me really hear if there's anything to this advice. And so, so you say, well, how do we learn to take advice that we need to actively listen to advice? But related to that, I think, is actively seeking advice. Trust me, people will bring unsolicited advice to you. <laughs> and that can be a good thing. Uh, but, uh, but I think that there is something about actively seeking it, not just waiting for people to come to us, but actually asking others what we can do differently, how we can improve. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. 
And that doesn't mean that you have to ask advice before you do everything. That that would be really annoying and you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, that would be indecisiveness. But I think we know the difference between just being indecisive and knowing that we're facing an important decision. And that when we face important decision, the, the biblical principle is to seek counsel, to seek wisdom, and to seek guidance for others. And first and foremost, that's seeking counsel from the Lord in prayer. That's the starting place of asking for advice. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And as you read the Bible, you see lots of examples where, where people will rush into an important decision, and it will note in the text that they did not seek the Lord. They did not inquire of the Lord. And whenever you see that refrain in Scripture, they did not inquire of the Lord, it means that they made a bad decision. They got themselves in trouble because they didn't seek the Lord's face in the decision. But of course, God also gives us other people. That one way that God answers our prayer for advice and wisdom is through the counsel of other people. And so there is something about going to trusted friends, trusted family members, saying, this is what I'm thinking about. How can I make a better decision here? But of course, if you think about it, that also presents a problem. Because what if you ask two friends for advice and then you get different advice? What do you do in that moment? And you can think about Solomon's son, Rehoboam, in the Bible. So this is in 1 Kings 12. Solomon, who's giving us these words, had a son, Rehoboam, who became king after he died. And one of the first things that happened at the beginning of his reign was that a group of workers came to him and said, your father Solomon placed a burden upon us of forced labor, and it's more than we can bear. We're wearing ourselves out. You need to lighten the burden of labor on us. And at, at first, Rehoboam seemed to have a heart of wisdom because he didn't just in the moment make a decision, but he went and asked for advice from his counselors. A good thing to do. But what he did first was he went to the wiser, older counselors in his court, said, what should I do? And they said, Rehoboam, you need to listen to these workers. You need to lift their burden because if not, you're going to lose them and it's going to tear the kingdom apart. And then he went to his young friends, the people that he had grown up with, the, the young hotheads that he probably would, would go out and practice his archery with. And he said, what do you think I should do? And they said, oh, those people are lazy. They probably have too much time on their hands and that's why they can complain that what you need to do is be even stricter, even more harsh than your father and, and earn their respect and make them stand in fear of you. And of course, he took the advice of the younger men. And then following that, the kingdom was ripped apart, north and south. It was this, this permanent division of Israel, not because he didn't ask for advice, but because when he received advice, he listened to the wrong advice. And so this leads us then to the, to the fourth important question from our text. How do we evaluate advice? How do we actually evaluate the advice when it comes to us? And I think that there are three steps that we can think about for evaluating advice when it comes to us. 
continuing to learn to take advice, what the king here in our text failed to do. And the first thing to do is to evaluate the advisor, to evaluate the advisor. That the person comes, gives the advice or criticism, depending on what you want to call it, and then you say, does this person love me? Does this person seek my best interest? Does this person love the Lord, know the Lord? Does this person have a pattern of wise decision-making in their own life? Does it seem that they, in their own life, that their decisions work out in a good way, that, that you might take it more seriously if you know that this person has a pattern of wisdom? But I think that we also have to be careful as we're evaluating the advisor. Because sometimes people will come to you with advice or criticism because they hate you and because they don't love the Lord and it's tempted to just reject all the advice out of hand. But there's a saying that even a broken clock is right twice a day and that even somebody who hates you and hates the Lord can occasionally be right in their advice. And so that means that, that, yes, we evaluate the advisor, but then second, we evaluate the advice itself. We, we take a moment and say, we're considering the source, but let's actually see what the advice is when it comes. And the two questions that you have to ask in this area is, is it true and is it biblical? Is it true and is it biblical? You might say, well, isn't that the same thing? But let me give two quick examples. So you could get the advice don't stick a metal knife into an outlet. And you say, is that true advice? Yes, that is true advice. But then you can say, well, is that biblical advice? And in a broad sense, you could say yes, because it's God's world and God says that we shouldn't be foolish and that would be foolish. But if you're thinking of actual proof texts in the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not stick metal knives into electric outlets. <laughs> So, but you wouldn't at that point say, well, I'm going to reject your advice because I follow the Bible, that, that I'm only seeking biblical advice and I'm informing my life by scripture. That would be a misunderstanding of biblical wisdom. Here's another example. If somebody says, you shouldn't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Is that true? Yes, that is true. You can give lots of reasons why that is true advice. You shouldn't do that. But then you say, is that biblical? Well, very clearly biblical, that you can find direct teaching right in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. You can back it up with other clear passages in Scripture. Basically, what I'm saying then is that, is that as we're evaluating advice, God has given us both our, our reason, he's given us our minds, and he's given us revelation. He's given us the Bible. And we are called to use our minds to, to think about things, to evaluate things. And so you, you can think about it like this, that everything that is biblical is true. So if something is biblical, if it's truly an understanding of Scripture, it's true. But not everything that is true is biblical. In the sense that not every true thing in the world can be directly proved from Scripture. But yet... At times, we think something is true, and then we start to search the scriptures, and we realize, oh, wait, the Bible says something different. And because the Bible is our final authority in all matters, that we have to go back and revise. If we, in our minds, thought something was true and the Bible says differently, the Bible is the authority. But that's what we're called to do when we're trying to make decisions. We're evaluating it. What does the Bible say? 
What does basic human reason say? They shouldn't be in conflict. They're never in conflict because God is a God of consistence. Truth is God's truth. But that's part of the reason that it's so important to study the scriptures, to be reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, uh, why it's important to, to constantly search the scriptures, to sit under biblical teaching, so we're able to evaluate teaching. And if something is both true and biblical, it comes with a greater degree of weight and authority in our lives. And it can even be helpful to think about how you go about looking up topics. I mean, a lot of Bibles, like my Bible, has a concordance in the back where you can look up key words and, and different topics. Or you can think of something like the, the Knaves Topical Bible. But there are ways of doing topical studies of Scripture. And, and you can say, what does the Bible teach about this issue? Does the Bible speak into this? And obviously, when the Bible speaks, it speaks with the authority of God as the Word of God. So again, that's the second step. So we said first you evaluate the advisor. You evaluate the advice itself. Is it true? Is it biblical? But then the third step is then you, you, you step back and you have to evaluate yourself as you're receiving the advice. And that's where you're, you're checking yourself for pride. You're checking yourself for your own motivation. Is it being motivated by the spirit or by the flesh? But then also, I think that, that we, can, we can try to avoid basic logical fallacies. And, and here are five logical fallacies that we can often fall into. And you can, if you just Google logical fallacies, these come up. But I think especially when we're receiving advice and counsel to others that we can fall into these. So the first is called an, an ad hominem attack. The ad hominem attack. And that's basically where somebody gives you advice, somebody gives you criticism, gives you counsel, and then the reaction is to attack something about them that is completely unrelated to the question. To say, well, well you're ugly, <laughs> you're dumb, or you're, you find something about them that you don't like and you point that out rather than actually listening to the advice, some non-relevant trait of the person. That's an ad hominem attack. So we're, we're watching ourselves for that. Another one is called the, the straw man argument. Somebody gives you advice. Somebody gives you criticism. They might say, you know, I think that you talk too much and you need to listen more. You, the straw man argument is to say, what, are you saying that I, I should never talk? That I should never share my opinion? Is that what, what you're saying? You're saying, no, that's not what the person said. That's the straw man argument that you can paint a false picture of what they're saying so then you can tear it down. That's one. That's the second logical fallacy. Here's another logical fallacy, the appeal to hypocrisy. And that's connected to the ad hominem. But this is basically what every child in the world does. You shouldn't smoke. Well, dad smoked when he was a kid. Uh, you shouldn't spend so much time on your phone. Well, you spend a lot of time on your phone. You, and you go down the list that there's this, and we, but we do that as well when we get advice. If somebody says, hey, you, need, you talk too much, you need to listen more. And you say, well, you talk more than I do. Who are you to give the advice? And so we can reject the advice because of some hypocrisy. But if you think about it, as sinners, we're all hypocritical to one degree or another. That if you had to be perfect before you could give or receive advice, then we would never, ever receive advice. Here's another logical fallacy, the, the sunk cost fallacy. That's where somebody gives you advice, gives you criticism, and you say, 
Well, I've already put so much into this. I've, I've started down this path. I've put so much time, so much money. I can't change course at this point. And, and we do that all the time. And that has to do with not wanting to admit that we're wrong, but we're checking ourselves for that. And then the, the last logical fallacy that I wanted to point out here is called the appeal to authority. And of course, in one sense, we are to appeal to authority, to the authority of God's word, which is the authority in our life. But this is where we receive advice or criticism, and, and we try to undermine it based on the credentials of the person who gave that. So if somebody comes to me and gives advice on the way I preach or the way I, I lead as a pastor, this would be an appeal to authority if I say, well, you didn't go to seminary, or you're not ordained, or if somebody gives you advice and you're not a doctor, you're not a teacher, or you're not a scientist, whatever it is where, where we're saying because uh, you don't have some sort of credential, therefore your advice doesn't stand. But it's a way of trying to deflect where we're not actually considering the advice for what it is. So again, we evaluate the advisor, the advice, and then we evaluate ourselves as well. But then after you, you do that analysis, this is then the, the fifth important question. How do we respond to the advice? Once you've done the work, you've tested it, you've tested yourself, you've thought about the person who's given the advice, what do you actually do with the advice that you receive? And there's a couple different responses that you can have. One response is that you seek more information. And that might be the case if, if it's somebody you know has a pattern of foolishness who gives you advice or if you're not sure if that is true, there might be, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna note that and then I'm gonna go talk to other people whom I trust more, who maybe will either confirm or give another perspective. Another possibility is that you reject the advice entirely. And there's times where we do need to reject advice entirely. You say, it's untrue, it's unbiblical. But then here's just a practical thought on that side that occasionally when you reject somebody's advice, it can be worthwhile having to explaining to them why you're rejecting the advice. But other times I think it's better to just thank them for giving the advice. So I think that overall, if people have the sense that they're giving advice and you're always rejecting it, that they're going to stop giving you advice. And even what I said about the broken clock being right two times a day, that, that there, there are, we want ideally to receive advice and receive counsel from others. And so there can be the sense of, thank you so much for trusting me enough to give that advice. I'll, I'll think about it and I'll pray about it. And then you might reject it. That's the second response. Another response would be to, to partially accept the advice. You take, it's not an all or nothing thing. And then the final response is to wholeheartedly accept the advice. And there's a, a great illustration of this in scripture. So in Exodus chapter 18, Moses was bringing people out of the, the land of Egypt. They passed through the, the Red Sea. And Moses was leading this huge group of people. And he was serving as, as the judge, as the lawgiver. And so his, his father-in-law comes to him with advice. And this is where then you would think, okay, here's an in-law coming with advice. How are you going to handle this? Moses says, Moses, 
father-in-law, Jethro, said to him, what you are doing is not good. Maybe that's more of the criticism. What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourself out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And so he's saying that, Moses, if you continue on this path, trying to deal with everyone's problems, you're going to burn yourself out, and people are going to get really annoyed with you because you're not going to be doing a good job in leadership. And he suggested that Moses appoint elders among the people who could help adjudicate decisions and can help share the burden of leadership. So this is where then Moses could go through the process of evaluating. He's evaluating the person. This is a reliable source, his, his father-in-law. It seems like sound advice, uh, that the idea of, of sharing biblical uh, wisdom. Uh, he, but then think of the ways that he could have responded, though, if he didn't evaluate himself. He could have gone into the ad hominem attack and said, Jethro, you're not even an Israelite. You're not even originally part of the people of Israel. How can you give me advice? Or he could have gone into the straw man argument and said, well, are you saying that I shouldn't, that I should just delegate everything in leadership? But he didn't do that. He didn't appeal to hypocrisy and try to find where Jethro had failed as a leader. He didn't go into the sunk cost fallacy and say, well, I guess I, I put so much energy into trying to, to lead in this way that if I change course, it's going to be embarrassing. People are going to think that I'm flaky. And so I'm just really going to stay the course and try to make it work. He also didn't appeal to authority in a way that if anyone could, it would be Moses saying, who is God's prophet? Who's going to receive the Ten Commandments from God himself? Who has basically a direct line of communication with God who is going to write the first five books of the Bible? And, and so there could have been this sense of, of pride of him appealing to his own authority. I don't want to take your advice. I mean, it says in Exodus 18.24, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. That he, he took in the advice, he evaluated it, and then he responded by putting it into action. So as we think about this, then, there are some practical questions that we can ask ourselves. Maybe these are questions that you can ask yourself. When was the last time you asked someone else for advice, specifically? How do you generally respond when advice is offered? Do you get mad and try to argue? Do you break down in tears so that the person feels bad for saying anything? Do you try to shut down the conversation or, or deflect the conversation in some way? Where do you need advice? Where do you need to seek counsel? Who can you seek advice and counsel from? Those are questions for us to be wrestling through together as we consider this text. But as we pull this all together in our time together, I want to point out the, the final verse of our text, verse 16. He says, talking about this young man who rose to the throne. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity. 
and a striving after wind. And so he's saying, yes, it's better to take advice than not to take advice. But this is where we're reminded that this is Ecclesiastes, not Proverbs. <laughs> that, that he's saying, yes, advice is important, but even for the young man who took advice, eventually no one remembered him, no one appreciated the things that he had done. And he says, this also is, is vanity and striving after wind. And so then you think, all right, well, does it even matter if I... If I go out of my way to, to take advice, is there anything actually of lasting eternal value? And that's where we can listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter 1, 24. It says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That when the gospel, when the word of God in scripture comes to us, it comes in a sense as advice. It's telling us what to do. It comes with criticism because it's saying that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That scripture is calling us to respond, to repent, to trust in Christ, to, to humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. And when we receive the, the divine counsel of scripture, that we get something that actually has eternal value. All the other counsel, all the other advice that we receive will eventually pass away. It will be forgotten. No one will remember. No one will care. But receiving the advice of the gospel, the word of God, the call of repentance and faith is what has lasting value. It's what will endure. And it's ultimately from that position, being in Christ, knowing what will endure beyond this life, that we can actually start to receive counsel, to ask for advice without being crushed. Because someone, say, comes to me and criticizes my preaching, if my identity is a preacher, then it destroys me. But if my identity is Christ, then I can receive it. If, if somebody criticizes my parenting, if my identity is parent, <clears throat> And it's crushing, but if my identity is Christ, I can receive it. And that's true for all of us, that when, when our lives are rooted in what actually has eternal value, not just the advice that passes away in this age, but in Christ, then we can have the boldness to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And receive advice humbly, knowing where the eternal hope and eternal life is found, that endures not just for this life, but into the life to come. So let's pray. Father, we praise you for your mercies that never fade, that never end. And Lord, we, we ask that, that you would give us humility. We pray that we wouldn't be like the, the king here in this verse who forgot how to ask for advice. But we pray that starting with our humility before you as our righteous and holy God, as in our humility of repenting of our sins and trusting in you, that we can have this posture of humility and knowing that that we aren't always right and that's why jesus died that if we were always in the right the son of god would not have needed to die on the cross but because we are wrong because we do what is right in our own eyes because of our pride that he went all the way to the cross out of love and we thank you for his sacrifice but lord we pray practically that we can be a people who respond to criticism graciously and lovingly not that we are just pushed around and do what everyone tells us to do, that we evaluate it biblically and in terms of wisdom and thought, 
But Lord, we, we ask that, that we can have that correction, that we can be growing ever in our knowledge and understanding of you. And so, Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name.